How do new authors go about building a loyal readership? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog Magnificent Show? Yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. Uh, we This is another episode of Meet the Author, except we've already met the author. So this is a return episode of uh, Meet the Author, I guess. And Ed Green is back with us. And we're going to talk about uh, his latest book. And uh, then we're gonna just going to have a casual conversation about wherever it goes. <laughs> um I have a lot on my mind this morning, and I want I want to talk a little bit about. It. First of all, uh, the Steele dossier is trending on Twitter. Why? Because during the Merrick Garland uh, confirmation uh, for Attorney General, uh, John Cronin, Senator John Cronin from Texas, brought up the Steele dossier. Why? What does that have to do with the Attorney General? Well, Cronin wants uh, Garland to commit to investigating. Uh, the phony Steele dossier. Now, I, I want to say something about the Steele dossier. I know something about the Steele dossier because I've actually read all of the parts of it where most people who uh, comment on these kinds of things never read the actual documents. I also know something about the veracity of the claims in uh, the Steele dossier because I follow things very closely. And before anybody ever heard of the Steele dossier, Hope Hicks, who was Donald Trump's most loyal confidant other than Mike Pence, and uh, probably even more so than Mike Pence in some ways, she testified uh, before the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, really early in Trump's um, presidency, long before anybody even heard the words of Steele dossier. And she was asked about uh, the Access Hollywood tape. You remember the Access Hollywood tape. That's the one where um, Trump says, uh, grab him by the pussy. Now, uh, that came out in August of 2016, uh, right before the first debate with Hillary Clinton. And um, at the time, the day after (laughs) that came out, Trump's campaign was in DEFCON 5 mode, trying to uh, squash the Hollywood access tape, the access Hollywood tape about grabbing by the pussy. Now, Hope Hicks uh, goes to Donald Trump at that point. She testified this to this in front of the Senate Intel Committee long before anybody heard the word Steele dossier. She testified that while Donald Trump was freaking out about the release of the Access Hollywood tape, she went to him and said, we hear rumors uh, that Putin may have a P tape, uh, a tape of you with prostitutes pissing uh, in a room, and Trump's uh, immediate response to that. Now, remember, he's in DEFCON 5 mode over the Access Hollywood tape. Nobody knows about the Steel Death tape. He tells her, do everything you can to get that tape from Putin. Get Michael Cohen on it. Make sure he gets the tape. Think about that. If there was no tape of Trump hiring hookers to pee on Barack Obama's bed in Moscow, if that tape didn't exist, why would a guy in the middle of a crisis 
say, get that tape at all costs. The tape doesn't exist. The only reason Trump said get that tape was because he knew it did exist. He knew the incident actually happened. Because if the incident never happened, the tape couldn't exist. And Trump would not say get that tape at all costs. Get Michael Cohen over there. Make sure he gets the tape. That's a fact. That came out long before anybody ever knew about the Steele dossier. Uh, Most of the stuff in the Steele dossier is true. Contrary to... um, what the Republican Party will have you believe. Uh, it ha- or most of it has been verified. Now, they pile on like uh, like a talking point machine from Fox News. They pile on the stuff about the, the dossier was funded by Hillary's campaign. It was funded by Ted Cruz's campaign. Uh, it <laughs> The origins of it, and, and they used the Steele dossier as the uh, initiation of the Russia... Uh, probe and all that stuff no uh the steel dossier had absolutely nothing to do with that the russia probe was started by george papadopoulos aka coffee boy bragging about the russian dirt that uh they, the russian dirt on hillary clinton in a bar drunken bragging about it being overheard by uh investigators so uh that's where it started from so the whole nonsense about the steel dossier not being true and the steel dossier uh not being verified it's all bullshit. It's GOP bullshit. Uh, and the Republican Party is is off the rails, uh, gaslighting America, full of shit, uh, and the most shameful uh, organization ever in the American uh, body politic. Uh, just that simple. Uh, and they really need to rebuild. And I've been saying this for a while. And uh I am a big proponent of we need a a strong Republican Party in America. We need, you know, I'm not a big fan of the two-party system, but I'm a far less fan of a one-party system. And so if the Republican Party is just going to go down this sewer of lies and bullshit, kill all the trust, and cater to uh, the worst element of our society, thinking that's who they need to survive, they're going to fail. And America is going to be worse for it. We need a strong Republican Party. We need both parties to be strong in this country. And I know the left is celebrating the, uh, the demise of uh, the Republican party. Uh, and the, the further they dig themselves into this hole of nonstop bullshit. Um, but it's not a good thing for America. And, and if, if you, even if you are a diehard Democrat, you don't want to see the Republican party uh, just become completely dismantled because it's not a good thing for America. Enough about the Steele dossier. I also wanted to talk a little bit about this. Uh, excuse me for one second. I want to talk a little bit about cancel culture and how I got sucked into it uh, recently over the Chris D'Elia. Uh, I'm not even sure if that's exactly how you pronounce the name. Comedian uh, slash actor who sometime last year was outed as uh grooming underage girls for sex i mean meaning fans who are underage uh he would uh text message with them and keep them around until they became of age and then had sex with them and so he was for better lack of a word deplatformed by a bunch of very um angry uh feminist comedians i guess and he went into therapy and he, he produced a video last week with which was meant to be an apology video. 
And basically, he still is uh, maintaining that he's never had sex with an underage girl, which, uh, but he admits that he had sex a lot and that he uh, basically considers himself a sexual sex addict, uh, somebody who is just uh, insatiable. And he's been working on that in therapy, whatever. Don't know the guy. Never really even heard of him before the scandal last year where, well, it's quote scandal last year, where he um, basically was outed as having text messages. Uh, according to him, he returned text messages of girls. If they told him they were underage, he would just keep them hanging around until they were of age and then would have sex with them. Now, uh, that's not against the law. It's not uh, something that is, in my view, all that bad. Uh, and I know I'm going to take a lot of heat for that. Uh, when, you know, it would be worse if he were having sex with minors. According to him and according to even the people who are making the allegations, um, he waited, which to me would be something we would want to encourage people to do i mean not to keep them around and groom them uh but at least he had the decency to wait and not have sex with underage girls now i would say uh, i brought this up yesterday and a comedian uh refused to he, he i put a comment on facebook about it because i want to understand where this whole cancel culture stuff come from and and why you know people will go after somebody like him Again, never had sex with underage girls, uh, messaged them. They go after him, but the rock stars from my era, I'm talking every rock star, from, even the soft core rock stars, the Eagles, which was a very soft pop commercialized band, uh, brag about it. In the History of the Eagles documentary, they talk about uh, handing out buttons uh, to girls in the crowd, underage girls, to have them come back to um, the hotel room as VIP guests for the after party. Now, every band member of the band was given a certain amount of buttons to uh, invite a certain amount of girls per concert back to the room. But they brag about it, openly brag about it, as if it's no big thing. This is the Eagles. This is not Motley Crue. Uh, you can imagine what was going on with Motley Crue. I guarantee you that David Lee Roth has had hardcore sex with more groupies, young girls from the audience than Chris D'Elia even could possibly have texted in his entire career. Thousands more. I mean, I, I know Van Halen's, <laughs> because I know somebody who was a roadie for Van Halen, I know their, uh, <laughs> their uh, after parties and their concerts were uh, filled with, you know, all about just fishing for young girls fishing for young girls in the country and we still celebrate them so it, it's confusing to me like why they go after a guy named crystal leo who i never heard of before the scandal i'm sure he's a popular comedian but i never heard him why go after that guy and isolate him and and i and b believe me i know it's not isolated but it it is selective where they're just being selective of who they go after meanwhile we still celebrate the rock stars of my generation and their career, the careers are still going strong. Their reputations are still strong. Even with all that, 
I'm going to bring Ed in. We're going to talk about this after we talk about his book. We're going to get his take on cancel culture. It's confusing to me. But a comedian uh, friend of mine who uh, saw it on Facebook uh, responded, like, how dare I even broach that subject on social media? It's too dangerous. Now, it's too dangerous to talk about with a, a sincere interest in learning about it and becoming more enlightened and understanding about it. Too, too dangerous to have that discussion on social media, that says something uh, about our society and where we're at with free speech and the fear that isn't something. I'm not afraid of being deplatformed. Now, if somebody can cancel my podcast, cancel my platform, take me off of Facebook, take me off of YouTube, take me off of Twitch, and every other place uh, we're on, if I'm determined, I'm going to get my voice out there. I'm going to build my own platform. Uh, so I'm not a big proponent of crying cancel culture just because you lose your job or somebody takes you off of their platform in capitalist society. Uh, but we're going to talk about that. I'm really confused about cancel culture and why why it's a thing and why it's a selective thing and where we are with it. I'm really confused by it. Uh, before I bring Ed in, I'm going to talk, quickly talk about our sponsor today. Audiobooksnow.com is a sponsor of today's program. And as you might guess, audiobooksnow.com sells one thing audiobooks and you know about the convenience of audiobooks and you know about how what a great uh service they are but you also know you can get them just about anywhere on the web so why audiobooksnow.com well the answer is really simple it's price point price point price point folks audiobooks now club pricing plan is simply the best deal on audiobooks you'll find it offers the savings and flexibility not found anywhere else with their save on everything discounts rollovers exclusive offers loyalty program incredible selection and cancel anytime policy it simply cannot be beat plus get a free premium audiobook on select titles if you click the link in the description today, you'll start a 30-day free trial uh, for the club pricing plan, which is normally $4.99 a month. Uh, it's absolutely free to try for 30 days. If you're not happy at any time, you cancel, and you won't be billed a penny. It's a great deal. Please, we uh, do appreciate you uh, patronizing our sponsors. The link is in the description, audiobooksnow.com. And I do appreciate you patronizing all the sponsors. Now, there will be other sponsor links in the description as well. Feel free to check them out. I'm not going to read all the ads today. Uh, I do want to mention that if you're tired of hearing me read the ads, we have a Patreon page. And at the $1 minimum membership level, you can get every episode of the podcast absolutely ad-free. It's a great deal. Less than a a cup of coffee a month, a dollar a month uh, to get all the content absolutely ad-free. All the audio content absolutely ad-free. The videos will still contain ads for the time being until we get somebody on staff to take care of that. Anyway, uh, Ed Green is back with us. Ed is the author of more books than I can count, uh, or more books than you can shake a stick at. And if you're the kind of person who wants to shake a stick at books, you you might have some kind of uh, something going on between the ears there that you need to look at. But he's written many, many books, and uh, his latest is called uh, Delta Dawn. Please open your ears, open your minds, and welcome back, Ed Green, to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Ed, welcome back. Looks like you're muted, Ed. Let's see, there we go. There you go. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How you doing? Uh, I'm a little frustrated, as as you could tell by the <laughs> opening. Uh, uh, the other thing, and before we get into your book, I want the other thing I wanted to mention in the monologue. Uh, Clarence Thomas is um, trending on Twitter, and the reason he's trending on Twitter is because of his decision, uh, mm-hmm. or his uh, dissent 
about um, the the incivility and all that stuff. And they're basically basically saying um, uh, what what he's saying is that just because uh, lack of evidence. Oh, it's about the voter fraud thing. He's saying lack of evidence of a crime is not a reason not to prosecute the crime or convict somebody of the crime. Basically, the fact that there's no evidence of voter fraud uh, whatsoever is not uh, enough to not, uh, to say we can't charge somebody with vo- voter fraud and uh, neg- negate an election based on claims of voter fraud because lack of evidence is not a, not a good reason. And that's a Supreme Court justice. Uh, basically saying... Uh, just because, Ed, there's no reason, uh, no evidence that you've committed murder, that's no reason that I can't charge and convict you of murder. <laughs> uh, so this is Clarence Thomas, a Supreme Court. It's time for, for, for the judge to go. Uh, I'm sure there's a nice nursing home where we could probably put pubic hairs on Coke cans and, and feed them to him all day long, and he, he would be just fine. Uh, but I just wanted to include that because I forgot to put that in the in the opening monologue. And thanks for, for bearing with me through, through all that. I want to get some of your thoughts on that. But first, let's talk about your book. And the book is called uh, Delta Dawn. Now, uh, I have a feeling that um, it was at least inspired by uh, is it Tanya Tucker or Helen Reddy who, whose song it was? I, th- I know they both had a hit with it, but uh, the song Delta Dawn, do you know who, who's, whose song Tanya it was? T- yeah, Tanya Tucker first sang it in 1972 at 13. Okay. So was it was the book somehow inspired by that? Yes, it's actually, yes. I've loved that song. I've loved it my entire life. And once I started writing, it just popped in my head one day and, I realized, you know, I think that would make a great story. And so, yeah, it took me a year of contemplating it. And then it took me another eight months before I began. Because uh, I was scared of screwing this up. Because it's a popular song. Right, right. And, uh, you know, she's 41 and her, her daddy still calls her baby. Um, yeah. But so, the, the sh- uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Now, the, the, the book, the story takes place in Minnesota. Yes, uh, since she lives in Brownsville in the song, um, and I kept getting images of like the Delta itself and areas that look like the Delta, I began researching for a Brownsville on the Mississippi somewhere. And up in Brownsville, Minnesota, the Mississippi River runs right next to the town. And actually, when you look at pictures, it looks like the Delta down in Mississippi. Ah, because when I, yeah, when we think of Delta and we think of uh, 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 you know the the riverboats, we think of more towards the southern part of the Mississippi River, not mm-hmm. necessarily the northern part. So I always thought Delta Dawn was probably uh, like a Louisiana girl or something. Or <laughs> um, so well, it's interesting. Family, that- in the book, the family is from Louisiana. Ah, gotcha. And that's where they they flee during the time of the Vicksburg battle. Uh, her father, mother, and them all leave, and uh, they head north to get out of the battle. And his dad, the dad in the book, settles on Brownsville because it reminds him of the Delta. Gotcha. You know, one of the problems with having authors on here to promote their books is being. Uh, 
teasing the book enough so that people will want to buy it and read it and buy it and read it and not giving away too much that they don't <laughs> they don't need to read it and buy it now they know the whole story so i don't want you to tell the whole story but give us a uh kind of a synopsis tease that we're gonna, is going to make somebody go uh, to Amazon today and buy the book. Well, in the song, we know that at some point she's had a sad life, by the way the song goes. And so what I did was I broke down and I basically told her life of why it's so sad and what happened to her. Because in the song, it sounds like she's not all there. Right. And and so you in the book now you're going to find out why she's not all there. Oh, cool. Uh yeah, uh that I think I I think you're right. I've always kind of uh wondered about that in the book cuz you know, first of all, I think it's hard for somebody in my generation in in today's world to kind of relate to uh a young girl not a young girl, a girl who's in her 40s, still living home with her parents, and uh, and she's 41, and her daddy still calls her baby, that whole thing. But that was a big part of the Southern life and the Southern Bell's kind of existences. They were pampered in a lot of ways, and uh, princesses in their daddy's eyes and that all that kind of stuff. But relating to that period, I did wonder, like, what's going on with this girl? She's 41 years old, still, still uh, <laughs> uh, kind of dependent in, in a way. So, it, yeah, I did wonder about that. So you cover, you kind of create that in the book. Yes, you're going to meet her family before she was born, and it's going to go all the way to 41, and you're going to find out what happened to her, why she's turned out the way she did. Um, it is a love story. So like in the song, she meets the traveler, the stranger. And so there's a big section on her love story and what happens there. But yeah, it's it's funny as I'll tell people, oh, it's Tanya Tucker's song, Delta Dawn. Yeah. And then I'm realizing that only people of our generation know it. <laughs> well and somebody i'm somebody i'm in a band with actually uh came it said that you know that's a helen reddy song and i said no i think tanya tucker uh what had the the hit first do you know yeah. if tanya tucker wrote it is because she was a, a a songwriter too no she did not i can't remember the name of the men i've got it in the book i mentioned them wow. um but two men wrote it and one of the men that helped write it actually based the song on a girl he knew and it's it's basically a true story of someone that this guy knew growing up and so there really was a delta dawn wow that's interesting stuff uh have you have you thought about even sending a copy to uh to tanya tucker <laughs> i've reached out on tour to all her media I've actually sent an email to them, to her company, which I got a response that they received it, but that's it. I've got no backing yet on it. Gotcha. And so my plan is, fingers crossed, I am having to move to Oklahoma here in May. July 31st, she's going to be playing at a casino about an hour away. Wow. And so my goal is, fingers crossed, is to buy a ticket and to present a book tour in person. 
Well, good luck with that. We'll support yeah. you with that and in that any way we can. I mean, if they, if you can think of any way we can help you with that, I would definitely uh, support you in that effort. I think it's it's something. It's a cool thing to do. Uh, yeah. So I have the a URL for BreakingRulesPublishing.com and it uh, where they can get the book. They can also get it on Amazon. The link yeah. is in the description. So it's at BreakingRulesPublishing.com/slash/bookstore.html. You can just go to BreakingRulesPublishing.com and there's a link to bookstore on the top. Um, I'm not sure how uh, if you're even aware of this, but uh, because Meet the Author is a running episode type that we do during the day, and I have a complete playlist of successful and up up and coming and aspiring authors. You come up a lot in the discussion. I bring you up a lot, and be, and it's because I follow you on social media, and um, so I like to present issues that authors are facing to extremely uh, successful authors, people who really have made a great success out of it to say, how can we help these people? And and one of the concerns I, I've seen you uh, uh, express at least, I th- at least once, maybe more than once is this idea of being frustrated with growing your readership and, and, and that stuff. Uh, so are you aware, first of all, that I, I bring you up often to these successful authors, authors and talk about uh, what we can do, what young, uh, or or beginning authors or aspiring authors or people who have yet to build a solid following, what they can do to actually improve their uh, following and readership. Do, are you aware that I, that I talk about you a lot? No, actually I'm not, but I definitely appreciate it. Well, uh, and so I, I, I wonder, have you have, because it seems like sometimes you get really frustrated and lose patience with with the. Do I have that right? Because I know it's a frustrating game. You you put all this work into it, you put it out there on Amazon, and then you see your numbers, and you think, "Well, I'm not J.K. Rowling yet." Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, how can I be more successful? I know it's a frustrating game, but uh, yes. have you found some? Uh, peace with it and, and and patience to understand it takes a long time to build that i'm trying i constantly remind myself like people that start a business they're looking at an average of five years before they ever see a profit right my cousin she's a successful author it took her five years before she even started seeing anything so yes i'm having to constantly remind myself to be patient take a breath um because it does get frustrating because there are times i spend eight hours a day non-stop marketing right and so when you spend let's say a thousand hours this month marketing and you sell one book it it becomes frustrating um yeah. it can get depressing because it's like all this work all this work all this work but i just keep reminding myself that all this work is giving me a solid foundation Right. Because I know now that when somebody is curious or wants to, you know, who is Ed Green, all they got to do is Google me and I'm everywhere. Right. (laughs) So when you talk about these marketing things, what kind of things do you do? Because uh, what I'm hearing and I think it makes a lot of sense to me is that most of the the, the people who are, are finding some financial success in in writing are building a community and by building a community i mean uh not just having a facebook page where you kind of invite friends in and get them to know you but a mailing list 
you know, re correspondence, all that kind of stuff, special events for the people, your loyal fans. Do you do any of that stuff? And, and if so, how, how do you, what do you, to what extent? The special events, I wish I could say I am doing, but we're still on lockdown to where you can't go do book signings or anything like that. It's making it quite difficult, actually, to meet with the public one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so right now, basically, it's all social media. Um, I've got my YouTube channel. I make sure that anybody that responds, respond back. Acknowledge these people. Um and then at that time, I'm also, like I said, I'm doing all as many podcasts as I can. I just got into my first bookstore, which I'm proud of. Way to and, go. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've got my foot in the door. It's just that door hasn't fully opened yet. So I just have to remember, you know, I'm unknown. I'm only right. been at this officially two years. Right. And when I look back at everything I've accomplished so far, I need to be proud of that because that's a lot. I've gotten a lot done in two years. No question. You've written a lot of books. I, I mean, I'll go to your Amazon page, and I, it, it more than most authors and more than some who've been at it for 30 years or more. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I would say you, you have done a lot in a very short time. Now, are you self-contained? And by self-contained, I mean you do your own proofreading, editing, cover design, all that stuff? Yes, I design everything. I do it all myself. I'm broke. So I can't afford that $300 editor and I can't right. afford that $200 book cover designer. Right. And so I've been in um, art since high school. And so designing book covers is a breeze for me that there's nothing to that. Right. And uh, the editing, um, thank God for Microsoft and a lot of these programs, because if it wasn't for them, <laughs> I, I see I miss a lot of things at times. So I know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I'm all self-contained fully. Right. And, and, you know, proofreading yourself and editing yourself can be very difficult. And I, I think it's a real challenge for I know I've tried it and then uh, handed it off to somebody just not a professional editor, just a friend to for proofreading. And then, wow, you missed a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> happens. Because oh, you, yeah. What? I can take, I'll start, I can write a book list if I'm lucky. I can finish it in two months, but it still might take me two weeks just to proofread and edit. Right. Yeah. And the problem with that is you've seen it so much that the mistakes just, just glow, you know, flow by you without you even really noticing because you've been conditioned to uh, read it. You know, it's like. Uh, musicians who are working on a song over and over again, and this is something I'm I've been really uh, thinking about lately. People just work the, work something to death, and you 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 lose your uh, critical hearing then to to what you're actually working on, and don't pick up a lot of the things because you've heard them so so much. Yeah. So uh, I think that that is true in the uh, writing as well. So uh, yeah, I'm glad to see that. Um, you know, at, at least your your moods are high. Because I worry about you when I see that that you're feeling like giving up on on Facebook. I'm like, no, no, that's that's not. I hate to see somebody dream get crushed by the reality of the business of the dream. Yeah, it is. I I already knew ahead of in advance that this is not an easy road to go down. Right. But you know, it's what you know and what you experience is two different things. Right. And so. I do get down and it's I'm starting to see that's a 
it seems to be common amongst writers. Yep. That depression seems to follow us. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody in the creative arts. And and so to that, um, are you part of any author support groups? Like on on on, and I know people think, well, well that sounds like a like a uh, AA type of thing. No, that's not what I mean. Not like a twelve step program. I mean, like on, on Facebook, there are authors supporting authors and that kind yes. of stuff. Uh, and, and do you kind of share your frustrations with them and talk your way through it and all that stuff? Because I think that's important to share so that people know they're not alone in this journey, right? Yeah, I'm I'm probably on 115 different Facebook groups. So there'll be times that I'll share my frustration or you'll see a lot of authors sharing their frustration. And so I'll reach out to them at times, you know, like welcome to the family. Right. <laughs> it's just it is what it is and but it's really the frustration I'm starting to see the most is when they get that first negative review. I mean, at that point, you literally think that this author's crashed and burned and that's it. You're never going to see them again. And you got to help each other realize it's just part of the game. This is the, the hardest thing for creative people to uh, deal with. And you can get a thousand positive reviews. That one negative one will stick with you no matter what, uh, your your endeavor is creatively whether you're in music acting filmmaking writing whatever it is uh that one negative review will outweigh a thousand positive reviews in a long way and it's something we all need to deal with what do you do to kind of uh <laughs> deal with that and how, how do you deal with it well so far I'm, i've been lucky um all my reviews but two have been five star reviews Wow. My only two negative reviews came from, no joke, two gals that ran two different Facebook sites. Right. And they contacted me one day because of my post and said my book cover was not professional enough to be on the site. They wanted it removed. And so I contacted them back. And I explained what I asked, what's so unprofessional about it? Because right now, out of almost 400 books, I was in the top 24 for cover of the month. Well, these chicks instantly turned around, went to Goodreads, found the book that we were discussing, and posted negative reviews and started attacking me. Uh. And so if you read my books and you give me a negative review, I can handle that. I'm all good with that. But you don't read my books and you just want to give me negative reviews out of spite. I can't stand that. That's high school bullshit, and it should stay in high school. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up in a way because I was going to ask you about that because what I see, and I, I talk to people in creative arts all over the place. I do talk to a lot, a lot of authors, but I never thought that the pettiness that I see in musicians who are competitive uh, or uh, comedians who are competitive, there's a lot of pettiness, backstabbing, spitefulness, and all that stuff. I didn't think I didn't think authors had that because authors generally seem like a much more supportive, creative group. So, but what I'm hearing now is, is kind of saying, "Well, no, that's not always the case." It's the same. Yeah, most of us were trying to uh, help each other, support each other, but I'm starting to see it's these wannabe authors who I'm an author, but I haven't written anything yet, but I'm an author. And it's like, they're just out there causing chaos. Right. Um, I'm not the only one. I have seen many 
authors crying on social media because somebody who never read their book decided to attack their book because they read the back of the book. Right. And so I had no idea that the literary arena would be as bloody as it is. It, It is. I mean, it's, I'm just amazed that people are willing to kill just to make sure they can get that next rung of the ladder before you. Right. Well, and uh, with regard to the cover design, and, and uh, I know that bothers you when, you, when you're going to hear that kind of stuff, but uh, I think there is some validity to not necessarily criticizing your uh, cover design, but to, to, I bring it up constantly when I talk to authors. There's that old cliche that you can't judge a book by its cover, but <laughs> almost everybody does. It is, yes. And so, so, and I wonder if, if in the marketing, because in traditional business marketing, we do a lot of testing, and we you have to be flexible to change to see if what's working or not. Have you ever tried changing covers to see if it improves a book's uh, sales or, or responsiveness? Um, I did change the cover to my first book. Um, but cover design itself, I've never – Except for those two girls, I've never had an issue with anybody not liking my cover designs. Right? No, I'm not. Um, uh, that's not the question. The question is: then, when you did change that one, did you see any improvement or, or change, or even, or did you see it go backwards in, in sales? Did it did it affect the sales at all when you changed the cover? No, not no. not not at all. <laughs> well, well, that, I thought it would because yeah. my first book, Year of the Cicada, the cover was pretty plain, Jane. I mean, it was just a cicada, some blood, and an apple in the title. <laughs> and after a while, I realized, you know, that's just too bland. I wouldn't really care for it. So I fixed it up, redid it, and love it now. But no, it didn't improve the sales at all. <laughs> And it didn't it didn't decrease the sales at all either, right? No. Hmm. Interesting. You would think it would have some effect either way. Uh, and you know, it, it's interesting because in marketing we are always kind of testing these things and and seeing you know what effect it did have. And I, to me, my thinking has always been a cover can make or break yes. uh, the sales of, of a book. And I know it was more prevalent when we we were brick and mortar shopping for books, walking around Barnes and Noble in the mall and that kind of stuff, rather than on Amazon where the the covers are generally like really like postage stamp size when you're looking at them anyway. So it's really hard to tell something, but I would think it would have some effect on sales, but I'll agree. I will walk through a bookstore and I'll just kind of look. And if that the cover catches my attention, I'll pull it out and read the back. Right. Just to be curious. So, yes, I'm one of those that, um, you know, yeah, the cover might not make a good book. In a sense, the book might suck, but the cover is what gets my attention. Right. Um, when, you, when you're writing a book, uh, do uh, are you one of the people who kind of um, – and I, yeah, I know it's a common – want and desires to see a, a film uh, a, a book made into a film but do you kind of picture it as a film when you're writing what what is your uh you know your modality of writing are you visual are you uh are you a, a word guy auditory guy what what is your modality of thinking when you're writing the book oh wow um movie wise listen i think it'd be a good movie i usually don't deal with that until after the books i finish 
and then I'll think, well, this would be a good movie or not. But when I'm writing these books, I'm a visual person. I can literally step into the scene and I'll look and I can literally see everything around me, hear the wind, there's the birds. And so, yeah, visually, I'm, I'm really good at that. Wow. Pretty cool stuff. So uh, what is your physical process now? Are you a guy who outlines a story first? Do you have like post-it notes all over the place and character <laughs> ideas? Or are you one of these guys who just starts with a blank page and starts going? I'm usually lucky enough that I've got the beginning and I've got the end. In I your mind or written down? In my mind already. Okay. Usually when I come up with an idea, usually the beginning's there and there's the end. So you don't and do any outlines at all? The only thing I do is what I, I'll show you here is I make cheat notes because I'll forget dates, birthdays, times, seasons. Right. And so I'll have a cheat note next to me. Who's dating who? Who's getting married? When were they born? And so I do have that, but I do not line out. Let's go from A to B to C. No, I, I'm organic. I want that book to breathe and talk on its own. Right. And what about character development? Do you rely on, uh, because it's different for every author and, and it sounds to some people, it sounds like these are redundant questions, but I know that it's different for every author. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you rely on mixing people, personalities you've met in, in life to come up and develop <laughs> characters? Uh, yes. There in many of my books, I'll remember something somebody said or a joke or an incident and I'm thinking, you know, that'll fit really good right here. Right. And so, yeah, I will bring everyday life into my books. Very cool. Um, and so Delta Dawn is the book that's out now. Are you working on anything new or uh, we're just gonna uh, concentrate on marketing this book for now? Um, no, actually I am working on uh, something new. I'm marketing Delta, but right now I'm working on my next book called 70 times seven. And basically, it's about a girl who she ends up getting, she's had a bad life, really bad, but she ends up getting saved. Well, her mother's dead and she decides she wants to save her mother. And so she hears a rumor that there's like an alleyway that, that goes through hell. And she's going to take this alleyway to try and get to her mother. But every time you show any kind of fear, or doubt or anything like that she has to start all over back at hell's gates excellent and so excellent. she has to keep going and reliving her life as she's trying to get to her mom wow uh that that sounds like a powerful story now you grew up in a, a bible belt i'm sure you were, were surrounded by all sorts of religion and, and uh religious groups um did that that upbringing uh play into this novel at all um well, the religious part, yes, I was. I was raised in the church as far back as I can remember. Right. And um, even I went on my own for years. So the church, if you read my books, there's actually a lot of religion slips into my books. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you can see it. And so like that first one, though, I, I'm waiting for the church to read it because they're going to be pissed. Well, again, I'm glad you're going here because you seem to be kind of anticipating my next move here. Because uh, I want to talk about, as you probably heard the intro, I was talking a little bit about cancel culture, trying to wrap my head around uh, why people, why certain people got 
targeted by these groups who want to just shut you up or censor you in some way and not understanding where the selective process comes in does it do you, in first of all uh i don't know how well versed you are in what they're calling cancel culture but if you are at all do you know of any um authors who have been affected by it because it seems to be a lot of comedians mostly uh and politicians and people like that but uh, those two groups uh comedians and politicians mostly and other than that i'm not seeing it on the music side i'm not seeing it on, on filmmaking side i'm wondering is it happening with authors and i'm just not aware of it not to my knowledge but like i said my first book it's so controversial i'm expecting it I'm expecting them to come after me because it's out there. But they haven't. No, it's it's just, I think it's because the book's not out there yet well known to enough people have read it. Well, that's, that's true. Staying under the radar is one way to, to avoid. To yeah. yeah, but I, I'm expecting it. If that, if that book takes off, I'm expecting probably some upset people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, upsetting people is is far different from being deplatformed or 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 you know. And it, when it comes to books, I mean, the only way to really deplatform an, an author is to because today we can self publish, so they'd have to kind of go after Amazon and say. And I'm not encouraging this in any way, please. But they'd have to go after Amazon and say, take that author off there and really put pressure on Amazon to do something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, that seems like a, or burn books. Uh, go, we can go back to the dark ages and start burning books. So I think it would be a little more difficult with authors than it would be with, say, a comedian. Are you familiar with this Crystal Leah thing? Uh, no, um, I'm not, but I am familiar with what they're doing to him. I mean, I, it's it's really ticks me off. It's like high school all over again. Right. It's like all of those in high school who couldn't stop the gossip who couldn't stop trying to destroy people just to make themselves feel better. Now, because of the internet and social media, they're able to expand. Right. And so to me, these are people that have nothing to do. Their life has to be as boring as hell. And all they have to do is find somebody to pick on to make themselves feel better. Yeah, it, I, I think in some instances, I think you're right. It, what seems to me, and I know I'm going to get hate mail for this. By the way, info at minddogtv.com is where you send the hate mail. Um, but uh, I, it seems to me there's a lot of frustrated female comedians that are not happy with the power di uh, paradigm in stand-up comedy where most of men get more attention, get more opportunities still. And I understand being upset about that. Uh, but there is uh, that kind of good old boy what they call toxic masculinity. I don't think it's toxic masculinity. I just think it's old-fashioned masculinity coming out where these guys who are um, mostly hetero guys and they have room full of uh, pretty fans, they're going to want to bang some of them. That's just the way it is. Uh, and it, and so if girls, you know, females have that same situation, they could have a room full of guys, but they're not going to want to fuck all of them. They're not. They're yeah. just simply not. Guys are going to want to do that. So I, yeah. I, I think we have to understand, you know, the male mentality and and kind of we don't want to ne necessarily um, stop men from being men. Uh, and and so there's a, a fine line with where where does the lines of decency come in and where where does this uh, whole uh, where are we going with culture? But I think when we take somebody's livelihood away from them 
without due process or without really having any kind of uh, real hardcore accusation. Again, like these people like Brian Callen and, and Chris D'Elia and people like this, these people want to take their livelihood away from them, even though they've never been charged with a crime. Nobody has come out and made a specific allegation. And if I say, well, doesn't the guy have a chance to defend himself in court or it'll be, or, you know, face his accuser on all the things, all of a sudden I'm a, a bad guy now for, protecting a child rapist and like wait, wait a minute nobody are you accusing these people of actual rape because if you are there needs to be a, a specific allegation you need to go to the police and make a file a report right yes. so it's, it's really a confusing th- time for me and when, when i just want to have a dialogue about it uh, people are afraid to have that dialogue about it. and i think that that's the worst place to be is where we can't have free speech and and educate somebody like me who obviously needs some education on it your thoughts on all that well i I'm, i'm old school i believe like my grandparents two adults should be able to sit down share their opinions discuss whatever the hell they want to discuss shake hands and walk away friends Right. You know, we all should have that right to our own personal opinion, whether you like it or not. But once we're done, we're done. Right. And it, that's that's not it today. Right. Today, it's like you have no right to your opinion, but you will listen to my opinion. And then once we're done, if I don't like your opinion, then I'm going to destroy you. Right. And well, that's what kind of it's I, this culture that I'm out to get you before you can get me, even though you're not out to get me. Has I don't get where this spirit, <laughs> this fear, this um, this um, spirit of destruction, right? And so I, I don't get it. I, I don't know. I well, I do get it. I think it's a bunch of spoil brats because at a certain point when we grew up, we got out of line. We got our asses back. You know what? I'm better for it. Right. But then they, we reach that point where you can't spank your kid anymore. Well, now we see the results. Your kid is basically that one that's out to get you, and they'll take you down themselves, you know? You right. might be mom and dad, but they don't care either. Right. And not to be too political here, uh, I'm, there's a political element to everything I do, unfortunately. But uh, part of the problem for me is the people who complain the loudest about cancel culture uh, tend to do it to themselves a lot. Now, I'm thinking about... Um, Republican Party was heavily up against, you know, calling out the platforming of of Donald Trump off of Twitter. And I, I always say, you know, somebody brought up, well, he's the president of the United States. How can you take his uh, platform away? When did Ronald Reagan ever use Twitter? <laughs> never, right? Uh, presidents never needed Twitter before Donald no. Trump. Uh, and the president always had the ability to call somebody into the Oval Office and say, I want to have a press conference. I want to talk to the American people directly without Twitter. And it's much more effective and much uh, much more uh, civil in a lot of ways because you're not, you're not hiding behind a keyboard and 144 characters and being able to call somebody a doo-doo face and, and run away. You have to look into the camera and talk to the American people. So the president always had that. But uh, when we talk, the Republicans have been claiming that cancel culture was a liberal thing. Liberals just want to shut up conservatives. But then... Mitch McConnell go, says something negative about Trump and the entire Republican Party wants to shut him up and they have him thrown out of the party. Well, if that's not hypocrisy, these are the people complaining loudest about cancel culture who want to cancel anybody who disagrees with their top cult leader. 
<laughs> it's it, it baffling. So I think there's, there's that part of it. Yeah, it's I. It's like don't do as I mean, you know. It's don't do as I do, but do as I say. Right. And I think that's what I find about the Republican Party. One of the bad things about it right. is that it's it's like we're for the people, but by the way, you know, we're not going to do anything to help you. But we're for you, you know. We're going to help you. We're going to help you. But uh, no, we're not going to pass this. We're not going to do that. But here's our fifty thousand dollar raise, and I just I don't get it. I'm an independent. I'm one of these that I refuse to pick a party. Me too. I'm going to pick the best person I think, or the lesser two evils, because that's what it's turned into these days. It's not best man win. It's the lesser of two evils wins. Right. And and so, I, I don't even just, think it's so much about people as it is about issues. So, uh, you know, where do you stand on this particular issue? What what issues are most important to me? Now, I know some people, you know, uh, gun rights is the most important issue in their life. To me, that's not the number one issue in my life. I do have an opinion on it, but if I'm going to, you know, vote for a candidate, I'm going to pick out where he stands or he or she stands on the particular issues that matter most to me. Uh, and so that I think that's that's the most important thing. And also not necessarily subscribing to the party line. If you happen to be a Republican, but uh, you have ideas that might cross the party line, that impresses me. If you happen to be a Democrat and have ideas that might cross party lines, that impresses me. That That at least tells me uh, you're an independent thinker and thinking for yourself and not letting yeah. the party dictate what, what you should think about anything. So, um, yes. you brought up, uh, this idea of civility, of being able to openly express yourself and talk about any issue. And at the end of it, even if you disagree, shake hands and walk away, uh, friends had a lady on, uh, last week who was a podcast host, uh, who incidentally happens to have been an adult film star and <laughs> that was one, just one part of her resume but we were talking about this and she fully endorses this idea that you brought up is to be, be able to uh agree uh, or disagree without being disagreeable and being able to foster independent thinking and 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 this stuff by civility and uh, understanding the other person's position not necessarily agreeing with it but understanding with it and giving them uh, their say mm -hmm. but when it came to uh, the issue of cancel culture again Pornhub was uh, targeted by Visa and MasterCard uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for not uh, verifying accounts and some of the uh, people who were uploading content were uploading stuff that were either uh, depicting rape scenes or child uh, molestation scenes and this kind of stuff and so Visa and MasterCard forced Pornhub to comply with those rules they kind of took them offline for 24 hours and she was complaining about that and I said well yeah I, I get that people who were behind it though I said I think have good intentions what I mean by that is uh, these are people, the activists who were behind the, the group that was behind all of this uh, effort to get Pornhub to comply with rules that they definitely should be complying with. I think yeah. we all agree with that. Uh, they, these people had the best of intentions, believing in their minds, whether they're right or wrong, that porn has the and the influx of porn and free porn and internet porn 
has a negative effect on society. So they're trying to do something about that. And she snapped back at me. No, these are just evil. They're uh, Christian uh, activists who just uh, look into people. They're just evil people. I said, well, have you actually had that dialogue with them? You can't have a dialogue with these people. They're just evil. Well, wait a minute. You were just telling me how we have to force this ability and be able to disagree, uh, but at least hear each other out. And how does that work? Well, with some, you know, you have to draw the line where, where you know, some people are just, you can't you can't reach them well then that goes you can't have it both ways you can't have we we need to foster civility and be able to uh disagree and still remain civil to each other yes. and then and then well these people are just evil they're just the i can't talk to them <laughs> two things can't exist in the same world can they <laughs> uh you know i Maybe they care, but yeah, if you can't find if you can't find that yin and yang balance, then at that point, if it exists, it's just going to do more damage than good. If you can't find that middle ground, so uh, yeah, I think they can exist, but you know, there's just some points. How much are you going to let it exist? Right. You know, like you said, everybody. I'm I'm sorry. Everybody watches porn. Right. Guilty. Right. But do I want to pull it up and see a child being raped? Hell no. Right. Not at all. And right. I don't think they should be on Pornhub. Right. So I agree there. They weren't trying to destroy the porn industry. They weren't trying to stop Pornhub. There's just certain media that shouldn't be allowed on it. And that's what they were pushing for. Absolutely. I get it. And I agree with that, you know. So yeah. um, I don't know. This, this world's crazy these days. It's like damned if you do and damned if you don't. Absolutely. And, and that's a, a big part of it. So, but the bottom line where it pertains to you and what you do in writing your next book or writing future books, are you going to let that idea of who am I offending with this? Are you going to let it affect the way you write or what you write no, about? Not at all. Right. I'm going to write my book. If you like it, you like it. You don't, you don't. You don't have to read it. You want to burn it? Go burn it. But thank you for the fifteen bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll sell you. I'll sell you a thousand of them. You can yeah, burn. Yeah, you want to burn a thousand? <laughs> I, I love that attitude. Ed. That that's the right way to be. Actually, I think you know what? It, it, it's your property. You want to burn it? Here it is. But you're gonna have to pay full price for it. I love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think that's important. But I think what we're seeing, as witnessed by my fr my comedian friend, who told me that's just I can't have that discussion on on social media because it's there permanent, and people will know I said it. That fear that that's permeating a lot of artists is a bad thing for society and culture in general, isn't it? It is. Um, the way I look at it, they want to come after me like uh, over something I've written. Come after me. All you're going to do is make more people know about me. All you're going to do is make more people be curious. More people are going to want to know what it is that I wrote. More people are going to want to read it. So you're not hurting me. You might think you're hurting me. Right. But in the long run, if I can ride that slide out, it's going to be to my benefit. Right. And uh, that was one of my points about the whole Crystalia thing, too. I mean, I never heard of him. I literally never heard of him before the scandal. Now he's famous. Now he's worldwide famous. So mm -hmm. I, I think in time, 
he's probably going to benefit from from this whole uh you know effort to be out to get him uh so at some point it's going to turn around and he's going to be rewarded for that not and i'm not taking sides and i'm not you know i don't really understand the full complications of all that's about him but i think you're right when we highlight these things and when people go after him and you go after people for vindictive spiteful reasons at some point you you make them you give them a bigger platform you make them bigger mm-hmm. amplify them more so i would love and i said this all the time i would love somebody to try to uh cancel me at least it would give me publicity you know I, it would be unwanted public uh, unpaid for publicity which is yes. always wanted <laughs> well like I, I found it funny uh years ago we all watched miley cyrus grind her butt on the crotch of i can't remember his name but um later on um ellen degeneres was talking to um Oh, Elton John about it. Right. And he he basically said that was the smartest thing she ever did. Right. And they were like, why? And they go, because everybody's talking about Miley. Yep. Nobody's talking about anything else. Right. So she shook the water. She rocked the boat. And now Miley Cyrus has gotten publicity across the globe. You can't pay for that. You know what? what's remarkable about that? whole thing uh, and uh, you just said i can't remember his name robin thick but in most so so here we have a, a woman who and believe me i know this is going to get me some hate mail from women feminists uh info at minddogtv.com um it, that she benefited from that she got all the attention her career took off Nobody even remembers his name. You didn't know his name. And I guarantee if I bring it up to most of my friends today, remember that Molly Cyrus rubbing her ass on on what's-his-face? What was his name? Most people just say, I don't know. Yeah, and if I remember right, his career was dead within a year after that. Oh, yeah. I think within months after that. Absolutely. So it's it's just strange that, uh, you know, for all uh, we hear about, it's a man's world. And this in that one instance, it certainly benefited her and hurt him immediately. Like and she was the one rubbing her ass on him. (laughs) Interesting conversation. And we are uh, up on the hour here. We need to kind of wrap things up. Breakingrulespublishing.com is where you want to go to get Ed's books. Uh, Any final thoughts before we say goodbye for today? Um, I just want to, my final thoughts is I know everybody's suffering right now. And for those that write books, be patient. Because, yeah, I want my sales to increase. But right now with everything that's going on in the world, I can't expect people to buy a book when they don't have water. Right. So just be patient. Um, Know that as long as she keeps pushing and pushing, we'll we'll get there. You know, the struggle will finally eventually end. But just remember that, yeah, your fans and your friends and your family might not be buying your books, but a lot of them are just trying to stay alive right now. Right. So just be patient. And for those that can buy my books, thank you. I appreciate it. And I just hope everybody hangs in there. Great stuff, Ed. Thank you for uh, for uh, spending this hour with me. I wish you great success. You're, you you know where to find me. The door is always open, and you're always welcome here. Uh, and I appreciate it. And we wish you great success moving forward. And when you when your next book comes out, let's talk about that and uh, and help you promote it here. Will do. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye for now. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids. 
by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by VaporDNA. Founded in 2013, VaporDNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code ORIONQ. Ed Green, EA Green is what you want to look for, folks, if you're going to uh, search for him. But just go to BreakingRulesPublishing.com or uh, if you're on Amazon and you're searching authors, EA Green. If you look for Ed Green, you're going to get an actor who was uh, on Law and Order, black guy who was uh, partners with uh, Lenny Briscoe. Uh, uh, forget his character's name, but that's where you're going to find if you if you Google Ed Green. So look up EA Green uh, if you're looking for him. Green Man. Uh, all that stuff works, but just go to breakingrulespublishing.com uh, and support Ed and, and authors like him, independent authors. And if you like art, I always say this, you know, if you want to support the arts because uh, that we're, we're finding out during the time of COVID and lockdowns is how essential art is to our mental well-being and our uh, just our lives in general, how much it enriches our lives and how much it means to us. We're finding that out in big ways now. So uh, support the artists that you like, whether it's authors, musicians, comedians, whatever, support those people in the arts that you really like and continue to support them. Hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you got a lot of out of it. I hope you come back, tell your friends about it, subscribe, and go to my YouTube channel, subscribe there. Go to MindDogTV.com and get on my mailing list and questions and comments and hate mail. Info at MindDogTV.com. Peace. Until then, I'm Matt Napple for the MindDogTV podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, have a great rest of your day and bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.